Red, and I'm here with Tap and Nova. Unfortunately, Rusty couldn't join us today, and he'll be missing out on with our special guest we have today on the phone. I'd like to welcome none other than Stan Lee. Stan, welcome to our show. I know your time is limited, so why don't we get started? Now, Marvel Age began in 1961 with the Fantastic Four. Is that correct? Right. That was our first book in the so-called Marvel Age of comics, which revolutionized all of literature, as we all know. How did you come up with this idea? Um, well, actually, it wasn't even an original idea. The fellow who was then the publisher said to me, I was the editor at the time and the head writer. That doesn't mean I wrote heads. I was the chief writer. And he said to me, you know, Stan, I found out that DC Comics has a book called The Justice League, and it's selling pretty well. And maybe we ought to do a book with a lot of superheroes. So I figured, okay. So right away it started out as a copy. But I said, I'm not going to copy the Justice League. I never can remember if it was the Justice League or the Justice Society. It was one of those. So I figured, okay, if we have to do a team, that's fine. But we're going to do it differently than anybody else does it. So instead of a lot of good guys who always won at the end and uh, they were brilliant and they were superior to the villains and they never did anything wrong, we came up with the Fantastic Four who inevitably did something wrong and they weren't really that much better than the bad guys. And um, I would like to think that these stories were unexpected and you never knew what was going to happen next. And that started all of this magnificence. Now, is this your formula, like the good guys aren't always good? I didn't know it was a formula at the time. I thought it was just sort of a cute idea to do something different. Um, I would hope that our stories really aren't formularized. What we try to do is make them realistic. Uh, in other words, it's not a case of saying, hey, we'll always make the good guys not perfect. But it's a case of saying people aren't perfect. So the good guys won't be always right. The bad guys won't be always bad will even give them some redeeming features i mean i'm sure that even you know some people you don't like and as i say it was the ridiculous notion was let's try to inject realism in comic books and somehow the juxtaposition of the fantasy and the realism seems to have struck a chord do you do much with these characters anymore uh, you mean are we still producing them oh absolutely the fantastic four is still one of our top selling characters, books, should say. And we now have Spider-Man, the Hulk, the Mighty Thor, about 40 others. Well, how did you develop your concept uh, along the, you know, the lines of your plot line? Uh, actually, we work a little bit differently than most other companies, or even differently than we worked in the beginning. Initially, comic books were done just like a play. You would write a script, where in a play you would write uh, act one, scene one, the protagonist enters from stage left and does so and such. With a comic, we would write page one, panel one, the superhero enters from a doorway and uh, leaps through a window or so. But it was the same format, and then you put the dialogue in uh, following the stage directions. Well, in the beginning, and I don't mean during Genesis, I mean during just the beginning of comics, I was writing most of the stories, or if not all of them, at Marvel. And I found I was having trouble keeping up with the artists. 
for example, one artist would be doing the Fantastic Four, one artist would be doing Spider-Man, one would be doing the Hulk. And I'd be writing a Fantastic Four story, and the artist who does Spider-Man would come in and say, Hey, Stan, I need a script. You know, I finished the one I was doing. But there I am doing the Fantastic Four, and I can't stop because I don't have that great a brain anyway. And if I lose the thought, it'll never come back to me. So just as a necessary expedient, I would say to the artist, look, I tell you what, I don't have time to write your script. But he needed a script. He couldn't wait because we have to, a production schedule. So I'd say, I'll tell you what the plot is. You just go home and draw anything. And uh, as long as it follows my plot, bring the drawings in. By then, I'll have finished this story, and I'll put the dialogue and the captions on your artwork. Well, I found in that way, I was able to keep a lot of artists busy at once. I would just tell them a basic plot. would draw anything. I never knew what to expect. Sometimes I didn't even recognize the story. It was different than what I had told them. So it kept me awake. It was like doing crossword puzzles. I was trying to make some sense out of these nutty drawings that they would bring in. And I was keeping everybody busy. And ever since then, that's the way we worked. I don't write the stories now. But the writer and the artist discuss the plot. The artist just draws the story any way he sees it. Then the drawings go to the writer, and he puts the dialogue balloons and the captions in. So you say you're not writing anymore? No, I stopped about five years ago, when I think the only way they felt they could get rid of me was to make me the publisher. So since, since I became the publisher, I'm now involved in very high-level things like interviews here, and cogent things like that, and other people are doing the writing. It's a sad day for American letters, but there's nothing I can do about it. Has it changed your heroes any? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, see, we try to give the writer freedom. I don't try to tell the writers how to do it. We have a character. Spider-Man is our best-selling book, actually. He used to have a girlfriend. He was mad about her. And one day when I gave up after having written more than 100 issues of Spider-Man consecutively from the beginning, which represents, I guess, about 10 years of Spider-Man, when I gave up the book, I gave it to another writer. And he said, how shall I write it? And I said, well, you know, any way at all, as long as it's good. And then I took a trip somewhere on a lecture tour. And when I came back, I found out Gwen Stacy was dead. He had killed her. And I said, when I said do it any way you want, I didn't mean kill off all the characters. But it was too late to do anything about it. Gwen was gone. Do you have a specific target audience? Oh, just anybody who can read, anybody who's literate. Uh, it used to be, again, that comics were just for little kids. Or they were thought to be for little kids. But that's changed. Uh, yeah, yeah, with Marvel. Because we started directing Marvel at ourselves, really. The, th the theory was we're going to write the kind of stories we would enjoy reading. You see, and I didn't know if it would work or not, but it worked better than anybody expected because we grabbed a lot of readers who were much older who liked the kind of things that we liked, but we didn't lose the young kids. So we ended up, we have kids seven years old who read Marvel who don't understand the subtle implications and ramifications and the psychology and philosophy and the subliminal moralizing. But they love the nutty characters and the long underwear and the colorful costumes. And the older readers enjoy all the little subplots and the little asides we put in and the little things that a young kid can't ever grasp, but they're there in the story. So you've reached a happy medium. So we, we find the best formula, if you call it that, is we don't try to write for any 
write stories we would enjoy. And apparently there are enough people in the world who have the same tastes. I hate to say that. I'd like to think my taste was far better. But apparently everybody must have pretty much the same taste because the books sell pretty well. How has your competition been? Miserable. Uh, now, they've been trying to catch up. They're doing the best they can. Bless their innocent little hearts. And um, we used to have a lot of fun with them. Cause like we, Superman? When we started out selling them, they used to, and I know this because we have friends who work for that company and we get these reports, they'd start having conferences. How come Marvel is selling so much better? And they'd study our books and they'd say, you know, I noticed they use a lot of red on their covers. Maybe that's it. And they'd start putting a lot of red on their covers. The minute we'd learn of that, we would take all the red off our covers. And our books still sold better, and that would drive them crazy. Then they'd say they use a lot of dialogue balloons on the covers, and they'd start doing that. So we would take the dialogue balloons off. And that drove them crazy, and it never occurred to them. It's just that we take the work a little more seriously, and maybe we have a little bit more of a sense of humor. And maybe people don't like things that are stuffy. They like things that are a little bit whimsical or humorous. But don't you go tell it. How did your success in the newspapers come about? Well, for many years, the syndicates have been asking us uh, to do Spider-Man or other of our characters in syndicated form. I haven't wanted to because I really didn't know how to, silly as that may sound. Drawing, uh, producing a script for a newspaper is so different than doing it for magazines. As you can imagine, the pacing and the timing. In a magazine, we have about 17 to 20 pages to tell a story. That isn't much compared to a TV show or a movie, but it's an enormous amount compared to a newspaper strip where you've only got three panels, sometimes four, a day. The first panel you need for a summing up of what happened the day before. The second panel carries your story forward. By the third panel, you have your cliffhanger, and you're not really doing anything except exciting the reader, you hope. So you can't advance the story in anywhere near the same way as in a comic strip. And I was afraid Spider-Man, if, if we chose to go that route, would really die in the papers, and I didn't want that to happen. And then one day, after years, just like um, Isaac Newton discovering gravity, I woke up in the middle of the night after the apple fell on my head and I said, I've got it. I know how to do Spider-Man. I figured out. I thought away. Called the syndicate and said, okay, we're ready to do Spider-Man. And luckily, it has worked out in less than a year. Spidey is in more than, in almost 400 newspapers. I won't tell you what the trick is because you'll run out and do a strip of your own. But uh, it's the only adventure type strip that has made it in years because most of the adventure strips are dying. If you look at the newspapers, you can see it's the humor strips that are becoming big. Mm -hmm. So we think we're pretty lucky with that. You have any new projects in the work? Anything you can talk about? Well, Stan, I know our time has run out. I'd like to thank you again for coming on to our show. And read Marvel. Well, in closing, this is Red, as well as Tap and Nova. And we just wanted to say to all of you listeners out there, and especially to our brother Rusty out there, 
Happy April Fool's Day. You are actually listening to a recording of Stan Lee from 1977. But, Rusty, we got ya. All right, April Fool's message from us three to Rusty and our audience. <laughs> gotcha! Oh, April Fool's, in case you didn't notice the date. Excelsior! That concludes today's review. Be sure to check out our other reviews and podcasts. We also can be found on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, iTunes, Podcast Attic for Android, and Podbeam. New to Con TV? Check it out on the link below. Give it a click and see what it's all about. <laughs>